Hi, my name's Andy Cope and welcome to the most uplifting podcast in the world. As a positive psychology researcher, I'm excited, delighted and honoured to be sitting in the podcast hot seat. The aim is to bring you guests who have something interesting or insightful or inspirational. They might have a story to tell, something clever, something simple, anything goes. We hope to inspire, educate, entertain and on a good day, maybe even make you chuckle. And why should you listen? Well, we figure life is relentless. It's full on. And most people are a million miles away from feeling as great as they could. So think of this podcast as a reminder or maybe a leg up to being a better version of you. Sometimes against the odds. So relax, open your ears, open your mind and allow me to bring you this week's amazing episode of the best podcast in the world. On with the show. Hello, hello, you beautiful people. Right, welcome to this. This is a five-star podcast. I mean, I, quite frankly, I don't care what you think of it. I'm telling you, it is a five-star podcast. You will struggle to ever hear anything, any, more inspiration in the next half hour than you, you can shake a stick at. Oh, and bags of humour and fun as well. Uh, so brace yourself for what's about for what you're about to receive. Uh, before that, quick uh, quick word in your shell like in terms of shameless self promotion. I have got a new book. It's called The Little Book of Being Brilliant. Um, I need you to buy it. I also need you to review it on Amazon, please. Like five stars. I draw your attention to five stars. It boosts my ego, and also it put, that helps other people who like the same things as we do to find the book as well. It is proper good. Um, proper psycho. If you're a proper psychologist, you're probably not going to like it because I have a bit of a go, but if you want to know about life and happiness and purpose and transformation and positive psychology and the three principles and um, consciousness and quantum physics and oh and boo boo yogi's sidekick I think he gets a mention I mean quite frankly you're not going to get that combo anywhere else um, and the second plug is not a, I'm not plugging myself I would love to plug please the happiness festival to 2019 it's on the 29th of June it's in Birmingham it's a Saturday uh, we're hoping to attract 1500 people it's not, what isn't it? It's not a, like a mindfulness thing where we're going to sit cross-legged and chant mantras. It's, uh, we've got guest speakers, so we've got Paul McGee, hero worship, hero worship, he will change your life all on his own. Um, we've got Richard Gervas, prepare yourself, some big thoughts, people. Oh my God, Richard is like a keynote speaker from, he goes around the world, he's met Mr. Obama, no less. We've got Shanette, oh my gosh, you're going to need your laughing pants on, come wearing your laughing pants. We've got myself, I'm doing a slot as well. It's a charity thing. None of the above is taking any money. We're not being paid. We're trying to create a ripple of happiness and basically trying to make a bit of a difference in the world. No idea how much the tickets are, but we'll put a link on the podcast. It'll be fairly cheap. Might even change your life. Who knows? Right. What did you tune in for? Oh, right. Not self-promotion or plugging the happiness festival. You wanted a guest, didn't you? <laughs> and have I got a guest for you. You might need to stand up and salute for this. I give you the remarkable David Heiner. Okay, podcast uh, regulars, listeners, loyal people. Um, the best thing about sitting in this hot seat is that I get to track down people, uh, well, stalk them, really, go through my catalogue, my little black book, who's interesting, who's fun, who's quirky, who's got a story to tell, who's all of the above, preferably. And I've got somebody today who is, I'm smiling before I've even started, he's the only one I've ever done who's actually sent me a warning via Skype today saying, warning, I've had good sleep, I'm on it. So I'm a little bit nervous. Um, occasionally, somebody crops up in your life that you'd love to speak to because they've actually changed your life. Okay, now I don't want to get too dramatic with this, but actually changed your life fundamentally. 
Um, so I'm ga- I'm going to introduce you to David Heiner in a second. I'm gagging to tell my part of the story. That's the problem with this podcast. What I've learned is I've got to bite my lip and shut up, Andy. It's not about you. It's about the li- it's about the the guest. But um, so my job is to listen and chip in. Um, it's not about the guest. It's about not it's about the guest, not about me. I get that. I, but I've got to chip in at this point um, for for reasons that will become apparent later. I would like to introduce listeners to uh, a good mate of mine. Uh, he's an author. He's an entrepreneur. He's a speaker. He's a husband. He's a dad. He's a fundraiser. He's an all round good guy. I bring you David Heiner. How are you, big boy? You brought sound effects with you, mate. Well, I've kind of acquired my son's sound machine. It's got some brilliant noises on it. <laughs> okay, right. Let's hear the noise again. Okay, right, mate. That'll be going off a lot today because I know we're going to do a, a cracking half hour today. It might be more than half an hour. Um, <laughs> D- D- Dave, what I'd like to do, what I'd like to do, mate, because I like to just uh, do a little bit of backstory first because I know I know I only know the new Dave. I know the version of you that changed my life. Can we tell? Can we just dig into the old one first? Tell me, you must have had a proper job at some point, mate. Okay, potted history, um, average at best at school. Careers officer told me I wouldn't get into college, so I lied, got in, and uh, became a chef. It's where I get my wonderful Kung Fu Panda physique from. And I started a little catering business because I was too arrogant to work for anybody else. And fortunately, it went really well. Or It went well in terms of quality, but not in terms of size. I wanted big, and I was too scared to grow it. I didn't know what to do. So I, because I was scared of education, I started interviewing successful people and I very quickly went from being a chef to being a researcher that has now had the privilege of interviewing, I think it's 258 at the moment, top achieving men and women, every continent on the planet, every walk of life you could shake a stick at. Wowzer, hence the new Dave. And that is, so what you basically do um, is that you then share that with whoever will bloody well listen, don't you? Pretty much, yeah. Everything, everything from kids in schools right up to chief execs and big conferences like yourself, mate. Okay, fantastic. So I'd like to delve in a little bit about what you've found out and obviously what you deliver. And are you, are you corporate or are you school mostly? What do you, just just where where do you position yourself? It's kind of half and half. I mean, I my my greatest joy is the fact that within a week I will be speaking on a conference stage mm. to a corporate audience or a business. I can be working in a high school with. 240 snotty year 11s who grunt at you and I can be working in a room with 20 business owners worth billions between them and they all get the same delivery <laughs> delivered the same way. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, the, the thing is, you, you know, you're not supposed to tell people that. You're supposed to say, oh, if I do executives, it's much bigger words. But it's not, is it? Because I do the same. If I'm yeah. delivering to nine-year-olds or, or in, a, in a boardroom, my message is exactly the same, really. I mean, Absolutely. it might change the language a little bit, but the principles hold whether you're nine or whether you're 59 can't beat truth can you no no okay so let me let me give the the listeners just an experience of because i i first met you i don't know 15 maybe even longer it was a school gig it was a school gig mate it was a school gig right a bit of background right so we do business and we do schooly stuff and we had a meeting with our school delivery team um a few months ago um and what we realized is what is that when schools book the art of being brilled to go in they don't want a teacher They've already got teachers. They want something. I describe it like an ECG. You know when your heart stops and they put that stuff on you and stand back. <laughs> That's what they want is that, like, holy crap, this is like the most amazing <sighs> thing. <laughs> That's what they want. <laughs> they don't want... <laughs> That's what they want. 
Oh, a mental note to myself, I need that machine. I need that machine. <laughs> but they want an ECG, don't they? want like, stand back, this is going to be amazing. So they don't, I mean, I know teachers are great and I know teachers are amazing. But essentially what our school team wants is something that is like memorable. And that takes me back to 15 years ago. And I was sat in the audience at one of your school gigs. And at that time, I was, a, I was an academic, mate. I worked in a business school. I knew the theory of everything. And you came on stage with a water pistol, right? And not some little poxy little water pistol, but a, like a proper... You could do damage with that water pistol. You could, it could go 50 feet. You could squirt people on the back row. And straight away, zzz, give me a sound effect. Oh, yeah. You smashed it. Thank you very much indeed. Yeah, you smashed it. It was absolutely great. And I can remember that was 15 years ago, fella. And I remember not thinking, bloody hell, I've never seen anything quite like this. So um, tell me what you deliver. What kind of messages are you delivering? And then I'll come on to the huge goals. Or Is, is goals your thing? I, I'm known for massive goals. Uh, my, my research fundamentally proved that smart goals set us up for mediocrity at best. Um, and because of that, uh, a lot of people are greatly challenged by what I say because I'm quite contrary. Let's because just go back a step, mate. What's a smart yeah. goal? Because I'm absolutely with you. I was brought up on smart goals. What What is one? Okay. Realistic and achievable targets. And the acronym SMART, depending upon who you listen to, stands for specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-focused. You see, I can that, already feel a yawn coming on when you're just well, saying the acronym. Yeah, it's so well, dull. The, the, the person who invented it was a project manager who worked on multi-billion dollar water utility projects. He never set smart goals. Setting a smart goal is the equivalent of going in your, in, in your life. I mean, it's just, it's just why on earth? And, and do you know what, Andy? Out of 258 top achievers asking them the question, how do you set goals? Humor me, my man, my man. <laughs> humor me. How many of them do you think answer by saying, ooh, I set realistic and achievable goals? I'm thinking, <laughs> whack, whack, oops. I have to do my own sound effect. You got it. Absolutely none of them. Not one of them said I set realistic or smart goals. They all said massive goals, big goals, huge goals, big, fat, hairy goals, dream, ambition, huge goals. The biggest word that came out was massive. So I... I, I kind of drew out these little common traits which tend to be very different to what's taught on MBA and leadership courses about how these people think and behave alongside the systems and processes that are traditionally taught that are valid you know I'm not going to dismiss them at all it's just that what they what they teach are lovely lovely um, paradigms processes and flow charts and business planning and which is important but you know what without without the this is how i think and behave whilst doing that we're doomed mate i love it i love it because i was a, i was slow to this and i at the time of meeting you i'd been seeped in uh, smart goals so i came from the corporate thing and every year we would set a smart objective which guess what was like can you do what you did last year and a little bit more and i can remember like coming out of meetings or personal development reviews just totally bored out my head with that it's like sets your, if you want to be like everybody else set yourself a smart objective if you want your business to be like every other business set yourself a smart objective because that's what they're doing if you want to change the bloody world and make a dent in the universe then we've got to break out of mediocrity and we've got to set huge things it's not obvious um 
it's it's obvious to me now. This point is, it's obvious now after I've heard it. But until then, I think most corporate people go through their entire life thinking that smart is is the way to do it. um, Before I come back to my, because I went away and I did something big on the back of your workshop. (laughs) Didn't you just? Well, well, I did, I mate. And so, like, literally changing my life here. But before I come to that, can you just, what's the rhino thing? Oh, I wish... I wish I had a pound. Uh, right, 21 years of research, and all I'm ever known for is what's that rhino thing. No, but um, only because <laughs> it's all over Twitter, mate, and it's your thing, isn't it? And I love it. I do love it. So explain what it is. Well, I wish it was my thing. It's it's something I'm known for for a two-minute section of what is a three-hour workshop. But what it comes down to is a book written by an American author called Scott Alexander, and he wrote a book called Rhinoceros Success. And it's how it sounds. It's a slightly crazy, out there, American personal development motivational book. And I started reading it, put it down, because to me it was just like fluffy, woolly nonsense, being a brummie. And, but it sold millions, Andy, millions and millions of books. And I interviewed a guy called Professor Alan Watkins, one of the pioneers, if not the daddy, of positive psychology. And he had not read this book. But his research kind of proved everything in the book to be true. So I tracked Scott down and he said it's all about cows and rhinos. 97% of the population behave like cows most of the time, afraid to leave the field, afraid to leave the herd in case they stand out or get laughed at. So they do what you've heard the cliche. They, they do what they've always done, get what they've always got. Chew grass, moo, milky, milky. And if, worse still, cows get milked. You try milking a rhino, see how far you get. The other 3% rhinos, they see what they want. They charge. They go for it. But they're not malicious. They're not like an elephant that will tread on things in a straight line. A rhinoceros charges at a goal, but he's actually one of the most nurturing animals on the planet. So what, what I try to do is I know you talk about 2 to 3 percenters, which I love because your research fundamentally proved the rhinoceros theory. He suggests that 3% of the population are more effective and successful than all the rest put together. The truth is that we can all go rhino 97% of the time. The truth is that we will always have 3% cow stuff going on in our lives, but it's how we respond to it. We can respond cow or we can respond having it rhino. George! I love it, mate. I love it. I love it, right? So the the old... Because my... If if we go back to my... So you've come come at the research from... Uh, a different angle to me. So you've basically looked at really highly successful people, gone and had a chat with them. Yep. I have done it on a, I've done exactly the same, but on an academic kind of level, trying to prove it. And we've come to the same conclusion. Pretty much, haven't we? <laughs> Is there a, I call them two percenters, you're three percenters, whatever. The rhinos are the ones I've been studying. And, and for me, the rhinos are the what I call the two percenters. So if you graph people on a graph of well-being, there's these people at the top of that graph, mate. The people who've got energy and passion and creativity and positivity and manage to sustain their well-being being in the face of adversity and bounce back really quickly when things go wrong all the traits that probably these high achievers have got is that i uh, one of the things that they do guess what is they set themselves really big huge goal i call them hugs huge unbelievably great goals and um we we i mean we we uh, the pyramid tell tell me about the pyramid tell me about because you introduced me to the pyramid and but it's in about three of my books mate i do credit you every single time tell us about the pyramid the pyramid is the to-do list. It's the process. It's the, it is simple, but when people, especially at the level that we can sometimes play in the executive world, sometimes people dismiss it as simplistic. But isn't it true 
that the, often the very, very best stuff is the most simple to understand. Always, mate, always. Yeah. So, so basically, imagine a pyramid, a triangle with lots of rows and blocks in. It looks like, you know, squares, squares on top, squares on top, squares on top to one block at the top. Big pyramid, lots of blocks in. And all you do effectively is a massive to-do list for your massive goal. And by the way, Andy, we've had four large organizations prove that if you only use this pyramid for a daily to-do list, your effectiveness and uh, if output goes up by 26.5% minimum. Yeah. yeah. Can you imagine that? Well, I, I can. I mean, yes. Uh, so what do you do at the top of the pyramid? At the top of the pyramid, that's that's like the goal. We focus on the bottom because the bottom is the foundation blocks. It's effectively, depending on your age listening to this, it's either a game of Tetris or Kaplunk, right? So you put the most important and or scary tasks, the must-dos, the important stuff, the stuff you're scared of and have been putting off doing or don't understand. You put each task into a block along the bottom couple of rows, and then as you fill the pyramid with the, okay, next important, and then least important towards the top, and whilst your time, energy, focus, motivation, and resources at its greatest, you go rhino on the hardest thing first. You smash the thing. You effectively eat the sprout first. And if you, whilst your time, energy, motivation, resource, and focus is at its greatest, get a halfway along the second row, complete the bottom row, and halfway along the second, it doesn't matter how big the goal is, the only thing stopping you after that is you. Because you, when everyone else's day, goal, week, or huge, big hug or massive goal is getting harder because they've left the hard stuff till last, when their motivation and resources at its least, your day can only get easier. No, I love it, mate. I love it. I mean, once again, it's like the science of the bleeding obvious, but it's common, it? common sense, not common practice, mate. And, and this is what yeah. I heard you talking about 15 years ago. So I went home, right? Remember, I knew the theory of everything. I knew what a smart objective was. Um, I didn't actually have any goals in my life, um, but I went away with that with that pyramid in mind, and I thought, you know what? That, I really like that. It's not the, just the water pistol and the fact I've been ECG'd, but it's the kind of you've given me something to do, mate. It's not just somebody coming bouncing on stage pontificating about it. <laughs> you've given me something, <laughs> something that I can go away and do. So guess what? I did it. I did it. And I went home. And at the, at the time, 15 years ago, I had an idea in my head uh, about my pet dog being a secret agent. And I know that's a slightly bonkers thing. Um, and I'd never had an idea like that before. But I, it had been swimming around for about six months in my head. It's like, what if my dog, Lara... While I'm at work and my kids are at school, what if she lets herself out and goes around the neighbourhood catching baddies, solving crimes? What if she works for MI5? I mean, how cool would that be? And the idea has been swilling around. So I thought, do you know what? Let's put Dave's thing into practice. Let me do myself a pyramid. And I did the pyramid exactly. In fact, you might have even emailed me one. I don't know. You, you sent it. I did it and I put in the top, in the top of that pyramid, in this huge bubble, I put to become a best-selling children's author in two years' time. All right? Now, that, that is ridiculous, mate, because I failed English at school. Uh, I'd never written a book in my entire life. I don't think I've read a book since I left school. And it was just bonkers. I can't even write. So what I did was, I'm going to be a best-selling children's author in two years' time. That is just the most stupid thing I've ever written. And I went down to the bottom of the pyramid, and I put in there what I now call keystone habits. I, I started to put in the bottom of the pyramid. What am I going to have to do? every single day of my life to stand any chance of that happening. And I put things in there like, well, I'm going to have to switch off the TV. 
and create some time. So do you know what? 15 years ago, I cut down. I only watched three programs a week, and I've done that for 15 years. So it created me time. I've got to go back to night school. I had to go back to night school on a Thursday night and learn how to do English. I've got to start reading children's books. I've got to start to plan my own book. I've got to start writing a few words. And basically, I filled in all these little bits of the pyramid, and I was quite impressed with myself. And I actually stuck it on my fridge... And every single day before I went to work, I would, as I get in the milk out, I would look at the pyramid and say, oh, look at me, going to be a best-selling children's author in two years' time. All I've got to do is do those things that I've written down. And then the most important thing is your motivation and your system basically gave me the impetus to just do them. And I did them, and I did them and every single day. And guess what? Almost exactly two years later, walking into Waterstones, and my uh, children's novel, Spy Dog, was there. There's now, I mean, I don't want to big it up because it's not really about that, but it, you know, 22 books in that series, mate. I would like to thank you personally from the bottom of my heart um, for getting me going. <laughs> and, and, and that, yeah, it is boom. It is a game changer for me, a life changing thing for me. And then, and then I know it's not about me, and I know it's about, about you and asking you questions, but I did it again. So I proved that it works, right? I proved that it works. And then about a couple of years later, I thought, you know what? I'm going to... Uh, I just discovered something called positive psychology, a new subject about the science of well-being, the science of happiness. I'm going to become a doctor of happiness, right? I'm going to get a PhD in positive psychology. There wasn't such a thing. Positive psychology was hardly a subject. You can't even be a doctor of happiness. But I thought, I'm going to put that on the top of my next pyramid. So I did another pyramid, and I, I said, I'm going to be a doctor of happiness in... in Five years' time. Now, it took me 12. <laughs> took me 12. But that pyramid sat on my office wall for 12 years, and I worked out what I had to do, uh, and then I did it. And guess what? 12 years later, boom, we're there. So, mate, I would like to thank you again, twice, from the bottom of my heart, for changing my life fundamentally. So I'm here, listeners, to tell everybody listen to this it bloody works all right so park your skepticism and your smart objectives to one side and get onto david hyder's website and download every single resource he's got and do it because it's personal accountability for me it's personal accountability once you've written once you know what your huge goal is and you've written your pyramid out there's nobody's going to do it for you andy can i can i quickly share one thing that you will probably know but I bet no one's ever challenged you on it before. Go for it. The reason you achieved your massive goals and the reason everyone and anyone only ever achieves a massive goal that's a huge stretch for them is not because they want a goal. Because I remember standing in your kitchen on a sunny day and you were pouring me a glass of water and I said, so why, why, did, you, why did you want to write the book? I don't know if you can remember what you said, but you looked at me, your features softened, and you just went, for my kids. Deep, deep. Now, you, in that moment, whether you realised it or not, you, you touched on the purpose, the reason why you had to achieve big. And the only time any of us ever find the gumption, the kahunas, the confidence to go and learn what you need to learn, to go and accept the arrows and slings that are thrown at you when you set a massive goal from well-intentioned people who go, you can't do that, you're not good enough, blah, blah, blah. The only way we ever get or brush ourselves down and go, is that all you've got? And you go again and again and again and succeed is when you have a reason to achieve that is bigger than your fears and insecurities. Keep going. 
purpose. I mean, I'm it with is. you every single every single step of the way, mate. Purpose, yeah. A reason for getting out of bed in the morning. A reason to to. I, I always uh, I always talk about I talk about I call them Everest goals. Actually, I've started in schools. I call them Everest goals, and I say to the kids, you know, has anybody ever climbed Everest? And they go, yeah. Well, how many? Well, not many. Why? Because it's big and it's massive and it's risky and it's scary and it takes preparation and it takes guts and, and therefore not everybody's going to climb Everest. And it's a bit like that in, in your life. You know, when you say, if you set in a, a huge, unbelievably great goal, a hug as we call them, then, you know, I get kids to think about what, what you know, what, what you're going to do in the next five, ten years of your life. And they'll say things like, well, I'm going to be an actress. Okay. That's fantastic. That's a goal. That's a, that's quite a big goal. I said, but a huge, unbelievably great goal, a Dave Heiner kind of goal, is to become an Oscar-winning actress. You know, let's raise it higher. Let's get it more exciting. Let's make it more compelling so that then you've got more of a fire in your belly. You know what I mean? It's like you can't just set yourself something that everybody else is doing. You may as well go high. We've only got 4,000 weeks, mate, and then we're going to die. We may as well go for it. Sorry, I'm going to calm down. I'm too much talking. <laughs> I knew I was going to get passionate. <laughs> I know, I'm enjoy, I'm enjoy, shall we just turn it? Shall I interview you? Because honestly, you're more Mate, interested than no, me. No, no, no. I'm going to shut up. I'm going to shut up. <laughs> Sorry about that. But, but because, well, you've changed my bloody life, mate. And what I'm supposed to do is sit here all meek and quiet and say, you know, it's it's, it's a game changer. It's a, And I think, and the reason why I'm passionate is that the earlier you get it, the better your life chances. It's that, it's that important. It, it's true. I mean, Andy, I am sure that you and I, both of us, we've got colleagues and peers who go, oh, you could make truckloads of money if all you did was focus on corporate. And I just smile at them now. I don't even argue with them. I just smile and let them go their way because they don't have the privilege of working with young people whose self-esteem is on the floor or who were, or who were like me, the average little grey kid that just sort of muddled through and being average at best or the gifted and talented kid who could change the world forever, but might not because they're a bit scared and lonely. If you can, if you can see the light go on in their eyes and have had the tiniest part in their journey, do you know what? We can, we can sleep easy at night. We can mate, but let, well, let's get around to business then because that's a, that's a big statement. The problem, cause we've got a team who deliver, right? And I, I love my team, but, a lot of my team won't go near schools, mate, because it's 10 times harder to deliver a day in a school. So, which is why I doff my cap to every single teacher listening to this. You yeah. try, you know, I, I don't think I could do it. I couldn't go in every single day. Uh, it's all right for me bouncing in once in a while and going and inspiring and motivating them. But to do that every single day, is, it's exhausting. It's emotionally and physically exhausting. And I think to do a corporate gig <laughs> where they probably only want an hour, <laughs> where they're going to pay you more for an hour, you know, for an easy ride than they are in a school. Then so, so therefore you and I and the people who deliver in schools, we, do, we need that higher purpose, don't we, to, to sustain us when it gets tough? Because it does get tough. It does for me in schools. But the irony is the impact's greater. And I don't know about you, but I don't go after applause anymore. In fact, sometimes I try to be so challenging and bullish and contrary that I get people deliberately to provoke me back just so that I can have a pop back. <laughs> because I, I, I get frustrated with corporate audiences that just sit there staring into space. And some of them will, well, many of them just won't use what you give them, no matter how good it is. If you switch on the light bulb in a young person, they will use it. I mean, with honestly, Andy, my, my, other than my family, my greatest pride isn't anything I've done. It's, it's, it's the things people have done when they've set a massive goal and come. We've had a young lady get mentored by Barack Obama. We've had, 
We've had, I think it's 13, including you, 14, including me, Amazon number one authors. We've had British European world sporting champions. People become millionaires. People come off drugs. We had a young lad who was a short, fat guy like me who got picked on at a school in Wolverhampton, go on to be a wrestling star in the WWE in America. I could go on and on and on. Right now, there's a young lad being tipped for a boxing world champion in Stoke-on-Trent. Used to be a football hooligan. Do you know what? <laughs> oh, Right. Let me add them. Let I love the passion. I love the passion. Yeah. Well, I. I mean, I haven't got. I can't reel all those off, but I can remember vividly um, coming out of a pub <laughs> uh, in uh, local to me. And I previously to that, I'd done some sessions in a school in Colville. And I love Colville, but it's not. You know, to be fair to Colville, it's not particularly glamorous place. It's not. It's ex coal mining community that's now not got a coal mine. Right. So it's one of those areas where kids are. Well, aspirations are quite low, shall we say. So I, I will have delivered my Art of Being Brill stuff, including a bit of huge goals in that school, I don't know, years, a few years ago. This big, burly young lad came to me in the car park. Oh, are you Andy Cope? I said, oh, I might be. Do you want my wallet? He said, no, no. He says, I just want to tell you, <laughs> I'm at Cambridge. I'm at Cambridge Uni. Wow. Hey, mate, people from Colville, Colville do not go to Cambridge Uni. right? So he's taken your principal... Who filtered through me, albeit, yeah, uh, and he's achieved something in his life that he didn't think was possible. So, mate, uh, once again, I doff my cap to you for for his success there as well. Can, can I can I just go a little bit deeper? I want to go a bit deeper, a bit, little bit deeper. Yeah. Um, uh, I think that I have a thing about goals in terms of sometimes, obviously, if it's not that big and it's not scary, then it's not that important to you. So, I do want it to be big and scary. Mm-hmm. I think in terms of goal setting. Part of it is a deeper question. The question is, what are you willing to give up to achieve your goal? And I think that's quite a subtle but really deep question is in terms of particularly with young people is, okay, you want to be that thing. You want to achieve that thing. What are you going to stop doing to make that happen? So quite often I think people think goal setting is about what have I got to do? What have I got to start doing? And I think it's really easy to do new things. It's quite easy to take up a new habit. It's really, really, really hard to give up old habits. And I think that's much harder to do. So where where, do you stand on that? Where do you stand? You know what I mean? I, I interviewed a, uh, he was a wheelchair sportsman and he, he was British. He was first ever British world number one, world number one. No one's ever heard of it. And, he, <laughs> and I, I asked him, I said, how, how do you get to represent? And he, and he represented Britain in other sports as well. I mean, phenomenal. And I said, yeah, how did you go from where you were to where you are now? And he, and he, and he actually looked quite solemn. And then he looked up at me square in the eye and he said, when I was training, my friends were going to parties and pubs. And he said, and when it was raining, chucking it there with rain on a cold November evening in the dark, I went training in the rain. I'm a world champion. I can go to parties anytime. Yeah, so it is about, it is about changing. It is giving, I think it's equally as much as giving things up. Um, as it is starting new habits. Uh, yeah, great stuff, mate. And once again, you you just blow it out of the water with a with a real life example from a real life world champion number one. So, and, yeah. And something something else I discovered only recently, uh, much to my shock, because again, it's one of them simple things, and you just go, "OMG!" Hashtag balls. How good is that? And we all assume that we're at our strongest when we've achieved something, when we're standing on the mountaintop, putting the flag in the ground 
having the photograph taken with the gold medal around our neck or the, the Amazon number one best-selling author status on our book. We, we've, that's what we assume is our strongest moment. Most Actually, I heard something the other week that suggests to me, and I've gone back, I've started looking through my research notes, and it's just leaping out from the research. We're at our strongest when we're at our weakest when we're at the point where we're just about to say no, walk away, give in, stumble, trip, fall, cry like a baby rocking in a corner saying, why, oh, why, oh, why, clutching our knees. Um, that's when we're at our strongest because that's, that is when you need the most strength. It's at the beginning of the journey. It's as you say, have you got the strength to sacrifice? Have you got the courage and the strength to say, I am not going to sit in front of Coronation Street eating a TV dinner I'm going to go training in the rain. I'm going to be a world champion. I love it, mate. I love it. I'm so if I I'm, I'm connected to a microphone, otherwise I'd stand stand up and salute. I really would be on my on my feet. <laughs> <laughs> on my feet. Do you know what? I mean, a bit of a, a bit of a secret here. My PhD in happiness made me unhappy. So imagine, right? So twelve years, twelve years of sitting in a library, giving up family time, and about ten years in. I thought I couldn't do it. I was I was hung up on statistics. So to be a doctor of something, you've got to prove or disprove. You've got to come up with. You've got to move the body of knowledge forwards, and therefore you've got to kind of learn about statistics. And mate, numbers ain't my thing. I can string a sentence, but I can't do numbers. Got it fixated in my head. I'll never get stats. I'm just gonna have to give up. Ten years in, I'm gonna give up. Sitting at my kitchen table doing a PhD in happiness in floods of tears, sobbing like a baby. My wife comes in, gave me a bit of a talking to. You know, get back up there and get crack on. Went back up, pyramid, pyramid about being a doctor of happiness in front of up above my laptop. And do you know what it said in the middle of that pyramid? Because I'd learned from Spy Dog, it's going to get hard. It actually said it. Don't give up. It's, I'd written it ten years ago in my pyramid. It said, "Oh look, it says there, don't give up." So boom, I'm in there. I'm with you every single step of the bloody way, fella. It's like, it's like in a battle, like the First World War, there was the invasion, this massive push of the motivation, the drive, the push, 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 push. And then they were, they, they, oh, then it got difficult. So we dug trenches. And trench warfare is the ugliest, ugliest form of warfare. And it gets hard. And that's, that's where the hard yards kick in. You know, it's, it's at that point where your purpose enables you when everyone else bunkers down, starts protecting. I see him. I bet you and I see him in businesses everywhere. You get these maverick entrepreneurs who have a spark of an idea. They drive, they push, they grow. They've got a team of 100 people around them. Everything's going awesome. And then all of a sudden they wake up one day and go, how the hell did I get here? And they start protecting. Look who I'm responsible for. Look what I've got to protect now. And so they stop, push, 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 drive, 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 and they start protecting. And so they stop doing the behaviours that got them to where they've got. And all of a sudden, they're not the strongest. They've become weak. And so it's in those tough, tough moments in the middle. You have to remind yourself of this is why I'm doing it. I bet, I, I bet you were, there was a little thing when you were writing Spy Dog where you were perhaps two-thirds of the way through and it was getting hard I bet I, you, you you may not remember, but I bet there was a moment where you thought, "I've got to finish it because my kids are expecting it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was, mate. There was, yeah, yeah and, and several the, times. And that's the purpose. That's when a why is bigger than a what. Oh, why is bigger than a what? Bloody hell! There's another podcast in that, right? 
Why in the what? Right, okay, mate. Look, I mean, that is absolutely genius. I, I'll, um, I'm going to come on to what makes you happy in a second, mate. We're going to wind it up because I know you've got, you've got a busy day ahead. There's Jamie Vardy. Jamie Vardy is quoted in one of my books, and he says something like, so Jamie Vardy, in case nobody's ever heard of him, he was a non-league footballer that used to play for Stockbridge United or something. So he's plucked from non-league obscurity, and he got a few games at Leicester City one season, and then he became their centre forward. And then he was the top goal scorer and the, uh, you know, in, in the Leicester City Premiership winning side, right? And there's an interview that I saw on YouTube where the interviewer asked Jamie right at the beginning of the season, it was, a, you know, Leicester City, mate, are never going to win the Premier League. It's like impossible. So the interviewer says at the beginning of the season to Jamie Vardy, you've got a 5,000 to 1 chance of winning the league. And Vardy looks him in the eye and goes, says, oh, so we've got a chance then. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know quite how Leicester did it, but they must have had a huge, unbelievably great goal, mate. And a big purpose, right? And a lot. I know shitload of team spirit as well. Right, fella, I, I, can we go with what makes David Heiner happy? Because this is a happiness podcast. What makes you happy, mate? My son's laugh. It's just the best thing in the world. Um, my son's laugh, serving other people and waking up and being pink. Um, <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's a bit, a bit niche, that last one, but I like it. Yeah, that means you're not dead. Yeah. If you wake up and you're pink, it's a good day already, isn't it? Yeah. So <laughs> my son's laughter, serving people and waking up pink. Being pink, bloody hell, mate. I love it. I love it. Absolutely. Once again, genius. Genius, fella. Right, mate, I am going to uh, we'll call it a halt, a halt at that because you've got a busy day. I would just like to thank you from the bottom of my heart, not just for changing my life, mate, but for doing what you do every single day against the odds, daring to be different. Um, you know, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've not had one of those for a while, have we? But we've talked about purpose. We've talked about huge goals. We've talked about uh, the rhino. And I think I'm not supposed to have favourites, mate. But I think this might be my favourite podcast so far. <laughs> David Heiner, I salute you. Thank you very much, <laughs> sir. God bless you, Mary Poppins. And that, dear listener, is that. I hope you found it as interesting and as useful and as stimulating as I did. Congratulations, by the way, on making such a great choice of listening material. Please subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I wish you well. You've been listening to the Art of Brilliance podcast. Listen to and subscribe to all our podcasts at www.artofbrilliance.co.uk slash podcasts. Thank you.